to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Robert, along with my co-host, R.G. Seal. And if you just joined our weekly party on Houston Sports Talk, we welcome you. And before we get rolling with Astros, Rockets, and Texans, let's see if you know why I'd play a couple of clips of this man's voice. Down comes the pitch. Button swings on it. There's a drive into left field. Pretty well hit ball. And it is a bases loaded home run for Button. Great day in the morning. Don Button hits the first bases loaded home run for the Colt 45s this year. And all set, looking very sharp and feeling very sharp, is our colleague on these broadcasts who will bring you the first four and a half innings of play, big handsome Al Halfa. Well, thanks, Bill. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rather uh, chilly here in Chicago, as Bill has already told you this afternoon. But uh, nevertheless, we're expecting a humdinger of a ball game. RG, it's not often you say great day in the morning or humdinger of a ball game. Any guess who we just heard in those two clips? Hey, Morgan Freeman's the voice of everything. Should I just say him? Uh, no, not, not Morgan Freeman. Is it is he Al Helfer? Is it the guy that just got into the Ford C. Frick wing of the Hall of Fame? That is correct. And, and I know some people are going, who's Al Helfer? Who are you talking about? Well, he was on the original Colt 45's radio team with Gene Elston and Lowell Pass just for that one season. And then that second clip you heard, that it was obvious from that first clip, I think, that that was Colt 45's. But that second clip was actually from Game 7 of the 1945 World Series between the Tigers and the Cubs. That was Bill Slater introducing him. I have no idea who Bill Slater is. Uh, Helfer only worked one season on the Colt 45's, like I said, but his career was good, good enough to get him into Cooperstown this week. And, and uh, so there will be another Houston connection, RG, for sure, this year at the induction. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I really didn't even know that. I didn't know much about him until he was inducted into the Port uh, Frick wing of the Hall of Fame, where a lot of great broadcasters, of course, have gone over their uh, career in baseball. But uh, I, I, like you, uh, you, you know, probably heard a lot more about him this week because of his induction, and uh, yeah, just discovered that he was a radio play-by-play voice for for several teams. But also did the game of the week. He's he's very well known. Passed away, I, I believe, in 1975, and uh, so yeah, one of the one of the great voices of the game that you know a lot of people don't even know unless you uh, go back and listen to old radio broadcasts. But I also wanted to bring up, uh, you probably saw that Jason Stark, uh, the the former ESPN baseball announcer and writer, was also inducted into the Hall of Fame this past week. So I and that was a, a somebody that we've watched and 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 read his work over the years. So uh, I, I like seeing the broadcasters, the announcers and the writers recognized as well. Yeah, a couple other guys, get, players actually get in. Those are from the, the broadcast and the uh so the writer's wing, but the the players, you know, Lee Smith, I don't know if that's a controversial pick, but, you know, he, he was at one point the leader in saves. He, you know, he was a guy that racked up tons of saves uh, over the course of his career, and a lot of people remember him from his days with the Cubs because everybody watched the Cubs on WGN. But Harold Baines with the, you know, most people remember him with the White Sox, R.G., that was much more controversial. People don't like that pick as much. Uh, he's a guy that I don't think the numbers add up to a Hall of Famer, and he kind of opens the door for a ton of other guys to try to get in the Hall of Fame too. 
Well, I would first want to bring up what you mentioned with uh, Lee Smith, because to me, this would probably be a good sign for, for Billy Wagner in years to come. Because everybody that you talk to is like who played baseball in the era of Billy Wagner said, this guy was dominant. This guy was a dominant closer. I didn't want to face him. So you can see that, you know, he's maybe not maybe he'll get in by the writers if he edges up there. And but I can eventually see him getting in because, again, you know, a lot of it's going by how dominant were they? In my time, when I faced them, you saw that you heard that with Jack Morris when he got in, and you're hearing that again now with again like a Lee Smith, but I, with, especially with a Billy Wagner. So I think for a, a future Astro potentially getting to the Hall of Fame, another one uh, that could bode well for him with Lee Smith getting in. Plus, it kind of breaks the door down. It's not just Mariano Rivera who's going to get in. We know this year, and it's not just you know the great closers like a Trevor Hoffman who compiled a, a you know. A, a, an astounding number of of saves, but it could potentially, you know, the closer, the reliever, it, there's a lot more visibility to that position now. And so I can see a lot more getting in. But to get back to your point about Harold Baines, you know, it was more about just a longevity pick. But if you look at his numbers, I mean, 384 career home runs. I mean, it used to be, oh, 500 home runs or just kind of a, a, an automatic guy you would think of for the, you know, Hall of Fame. Yeah, that guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You would never think of like Harold Baines as, as somebody when even when he was playing, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame someday. I mean, a really good player, really good hitter. And I think that's why a lot of people are scratching their heads over this one. But he did play 22 years. He did have, you know, he did compile a lot of stats. He was very productive for all those 22 years and so he's in the hall of fame yeah lee smith uh somebody posted on twitter looking at the numbers between lee smith and billy wagner it's funny you mentioned that because i saw that post and i said yeah that that looks like billy wagner has a lot better numbers than lee smith in a lot of different ways and and you know i see harold baines get in i'm thinking yeah harold baines was he's one of those guys that is a hall of the very good a guy that hung around for a long time and, you know, to me, I think, of, well, if Harold Baines can get in, you know, he, this guy didn't hang around very long, but his numbers uh, from the time that he was, was just were just way better. I think of Lance Berkman. <laughs> it was like, hell, you know, why not Lance Berkman then? You know, th- yeah, you think of a Lance Berkman, you think of guys like, you know, Jim Edmonds, you know, very good player for many years. I mean, there are a lot of guys now when you start doing that, that like you said, the Hall of Very Good, who could you know, potentially now get into the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. And I do like the Veterans Committee because a lot of times with the writers, you know, they're guys that drop off the ballot or, you know, maybe are unfairly evaluated or there's too crowded of a ballot one year. So the guys slip through the cracks or or you focus on other players. And I mean, there are for a whole bunch of different reasons. So I do like the fact that the veterans committee can go back and kind of reevaluate. But you know, when you're talking about somebody like Jack Morris, that was a borderline hall of fame candidate anyway. Correct. I mean, when you were talking about him and getting up near the percentage and he doesn't get in, if that happens to Edgar Martinez, you know, now that Harold Baines has gotten in, of course he's going to get in. Edgar Martinez was a great DH. Uh, but but you look at somebody like like that who edged up close, maybe, you know, he he should get into the Hall of Fame. But if he doesn't, you know, you could see the Veterans Committee someday doing it. It's a guy that had really low percentages, really wasn't thought of as the writers as somebody in the Hall of Fame and now is getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame. It just kind of widens the door there. So like you said, yeah, Lance Berkman types, you know, different different players who had, uh, you know, very good careers. Uh, even a Dale Murphy. I mean, we can look at a Steve Garvey now. You know, we can look at guys like that and say, well, they had pretty similar numbers or were probably better in their day than, than you know, Harold Baines was. I think of a guy like Will Clark because, you know, he was a guy that 
always was scared of. Harold Baines was never somebody. I mean, I, you know, we, we weren't the Astros. I should say we're not in the American League at the time. So you didn't see Harold Baines. But I, I did, it didn't strike me as somebody that other teams were scared of. Maybe the way in the National League you would have been scared of, of Will Clark. There's a great article. You know, I just refer everybody to before we go on uh, on SI.com. John Taylor writes it. And the title of the article is Harold Baines Stunning Hall of Fame is an uh, Hall of Fame election is an embarrassment. Uh, so that tells you about everything you need to yeah, know. Yeah, and I, I also do feel bad for Harold Baines. I remember a lot of people were saying when Craig Biggio got into the Hall of Fame, well, he was a compiler. He put up stats for years. But at least Craig Biggio made those numbers like 3,000 hits. You know, he had it was one of the top right-handed doubles hitters in history. You know, I mean, he, he put out a lot of great statistics that you – eye-popping that you say, yeah, those are automatic for the Hall of Fame, like 3,000 hits. But I remember there were people that said, oh, well, he stayed on too long and he compiled numbers and kind of, you know, sneered at at him getting into the Hall of Fame. I mean, there were people out there like that. So, I mean, I I also don't like seeing it. I mean, I, you know, you want to be happy for Harold Baines, too. And it's just kind of a shame because he was a very good player. I mean, most baseball players would kill to have the career that that uh, Harold Baines did. Like you said, a, 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 a great career. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, the Hall of the Very Good. He's not somebody to think of like a, a King Griffey Jr., right? There's this automatic first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's just kind of a shame that yeah, – but that's what the Hall of Fame does. It has players in there that, you know, are different degrees. You have your – now you're having the, oh, I'm a first ballot. You know, that's almost like a, a distinguishing mark, right? If you're a first ballot Hall of Famer as opposed to a guy that took 10, 15 times. Usually once you get into the club – you know, that's fine. You're a Hall of Famer. They put Hall of Famer by your name. You come to Cooperstown every year. It doesn't matter. You know, but for some people now, it's going to be, well, you know, if you weren't a first ballot Hall of Famer, you you know, you're just you're you, we, we separate those guys, the Mariano Rivera's, the Derek Jeter's, the King Griffey's, uh, you know, the, the Randy Johnson's from the others in the Hall of Fame. Right. And, you know, just moving on as far as Astros, because Astros still haven't done anything major. Uh, as far as deals uh, during the winter meetings. But the the story of the week really for them, RG was saying goodbye and a salute from all Astros fans to Charlie Morton. He signs a contract with the Rays. Keep in mind, he's the only pitcher in history to win Game 7 in the League Championship Series and Game 7 of the World Series in the same season. I mean, just extraordinary stuff that he did for the Astros. The definition of... Of clutch and RG as iconic as the Killer Bees were, it was the magnificent M's Morton and McCann who were out there when the Astros recorded that last out of their first ever World Series title. And it's hard to believe they're both gone just one year later. Yeah, it is. And uh, about uh, Charlie Morton, like you said, he was a guy that came to Houston almost as a reclamation project. A lot of people uh, scoffed at Jeff Luno for going out and signing him. Charlie Morton, two years, fourteen million dollars. And yet he gave him a 29-10 and 10 record, uh, and he also had you know, a, a 3.36 ERA over his two years in Houston, 364 strikeouts. I mean, the guy was pretty unbelievable. And like you said, had that postseason success in 2017, was on the mound when the Astros clinched Game 7 of the World Series. So he'll always have that special moment in Astros history where he pitches that final out. So uh, – 
yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough saying goodbye because this guy's a World Series hero for the Houston Astros. First championship in history. We'll always be nostalgic for that. We'll always have these great feelings for him. He's a hero in the city. He gets whatever he wants. He gets a key to the city when he does decide to come back and visit Houston for the rest of his life. But, you know, uh, the Astros made a baseball decision. He was getting two years, $30 million, $15 million apiece, plus an option for a third year from the Tampa Bay Rays. The Astros weren't going to go that high. I mean, you saw they didn't offer him the qualifying offer, which would have been, what, close to $18 million just for one season. So if they wanted to slot that kind of money in for just one season, they probably would offer him the qualifying offer. If he takes it, you know, he's there for the upcoming season or if he leaves to get a draft pick from it. But as is the case right now, you know, they just let him walk and he leaves and – you know, it's it's sad because the Astros have lost already on their pitching staff. They're not going to have Lance McCullers next season. They're not going to have Charlie Morton next season. And, uh, you know, they they also uh, just have like uh, Dallas Keuchel. You got to mention Dallas him Keuchel, too. of course. Yeah. And, and I, I want to bring up Keuchel. It's funny you should mention him or try to mention him. But uh, I was going to bring him up because. Keuchel and Morton, they're opposites as far as the open market is concerned when you look at what teams might be looking for because Charlie Morton's a guy that he's clutch and he's a power pitcher. He's a swing and miss guy. Um, And then you got Dallas Keuchel that, you know, he he definitely had some clutch moments with the Astros, but in a playoff scenario, it's a little bit more of a roll of the dice with somebody like Dallas Keuchel's. I think that's a little bit. I think that's a little bit unfair to Dallas Keuchel because you remember in his Cy Young year. I mean, we wanted that guy out every single time. Remember, he he went up to Yankee Stadium, one game playoff, and was extraordinary. But that's been know? three years now. You know, it, it has been. But remember, in the World Series, I mean, again, in the first round against the Boston Red Sox, Keuchel had an excellent outing. Yeah, he's had he's been spotty. He hasn't been the same Dallas Keuchel since he won the Cy Young. It's been up and down, inconsistent, uneven. But he's also had some very clutch moments in the postseason. But he's he's the guy that a lot of teams might not think that they won in the postseason because they like swing and miss guys. And you've talked about this before, yeah. how that's so very valuable on your postseason roster but, but to have somebody like that. But let's not forget that like this past offseason, we're judging offseasons. Charlie Morton was great the previous offseason, had shoulder issues this past uh, postseason and, you know, wasn't effective at all in his one appearance. But, I mean, he hadn't pitched in a while, but we, I mean, discussed this. So, and I think that's maybe a thing that the Astros were looking at too. Look, he's 30, going to be what, 36 years old. They got two great years out of them, you know, so again, maybe for one season, if the price was right with an option for another, but to, I, you know, I think they're looking, uh, going to, they're obviously looking to go in a different direction that, and they just felt that that type of money for Charlie Morton going forward was just not going to be something that they were going to do. The other, uh, sort of minor news, I guess, uh, Astros in the rule five draft lose right-handed pitcher, Riley Farrell and outfielder Drew Ferguson. I don't know if this is a drop in the bucket for many Astros fans or a ripple, I guess, in the in, in the ocean for them. But Riley Farrell, you know, I remember him being drafted RG by the Astros, third round pick, if I remember correctly, out of TCU, and he was somebody that you thought would race up through the organization because you know he had pitched in college, he had some experience behind him, and he had pitched in big situations, and and he was somebody that could race up because he was going to be a reliever. He's a reliever, you know, coming out of college. So that would be somebody that you would think the Astros could have uh, used, but then just injuries uh, sidetracked him and and who knows what would have happened there. But 
Uh, I mean, is there? Is, do you have any thoughts on their Rule 5 losses or anything else that happened this week? Well, I mean, you know, the Astros have a deep farm system, so they're going to have some Rule 5 losses. And, you know, those are always guys that, look, the, the Astros acquired, let's talk about a free agent, they acquired Marlon Gonzalez. How, you know, he was a, a, a Rule 5 acquisition and had to be on the roster for an entire season. And so, um, you know, they're, they're always going to be those guys that are kind of, you know, left, let go that maybe they can find some success elsewhere because they've been blocked by other, uh, you know, players ahead of them, or they've had injuries and there just comes a time where they need to find a new place to go to. So, yeah, like you said, Riley Farrell had promised when he was drafted, just never materialized with the Astros, but it might materialize someplace else. Just want to know that, uh, I wanted to ask you, though, uh, where would you go now? I mean, I, you know, the Astros are still looking for starting pitching. They're still looking for uh, potentially maybe another reliever. They're looking for an outfield bat. But as far as the pitching goes, now that they pretty much are not going to have three of their pitchers from the rotation just mentioned back next year, only Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, who will be free agents after the season, Jeff Luno did say that Colin McHugh will now be part of the starting rotation again. So he's out of the bullpen. He's back in the rotation. So you have three starters for next year. What do you do about the other two? Are you looking more through trade? Are you looking and seeing what guys haven't signed? The Astros missed out on Jay Happ. They were apparently interested in him. They they had an offer for Charlie Morton. It wasn't enough. He went to Tampa Bay. So where do you look now for, for that additional pitching? You know, that's a good question. I, I just don't know what they're going to do. I still think they're going to get another pitcher, another starting pitcher somewhere. And I have to believe they're going to get a catcher somewhere. A starting Those, to, to me, if, if right, I'm Jeff Luno, those are my two major needs right now. I, I want that catcher because uh, the, the two catchers that they have, neither one of those guys – is going to be a good offensive catcher. And I would think they would want to upgrade a little bit right there. Max Stassi, you know, he had a good start to last this past season, but just uh, he, he couldn't keep it up. And there's no real history of him being really good. Now, maybe they could count on the fact that, you know, they're high on Garrett Stubbs and, and he's going to start off the year in AAA, I would assume, but maybe they're high enough on him. But, you know, I, I think that they're going to still go get a catch. Those would be the two. I, yeah, I think that's a good point there. Yeah, I, I do. Because I, I also think that, look, they spent $17 million on the catcher position for Brian McCann last year. They, they just signed uh, Robinson Chirinos for $6.25 million. They're probably waiting to see what happens with some of the other catchers out there. Maybe they don't. So it comes to January, February. It's like, oh, this guy's available. We weren't expecting to be. We can offer him a one-year deal or two-year deal at this kind of price. So, yeah, I think that, and there are a lot of free agent catchers this year. So I think that adding another one wouldn't be out of the realm, the, the imagination there. Or if the price comes down for JT Real Muto, like going after him in trade, even though he's been linked to the Mets and, and other clubs around baseball, he still hasn't been traded. And if the Marlins come off their high demands, I think that he could potentially, you know, still be an Astro because of the prospects that they could deliver to the Marlins. The other thing I think about is, you know, Jeff's got to make some deals because if there's anything that uh, he might have learned in the last few months or the last, forget few months, the last month, don't stand still or you're moving backwards. Uh, see the Houston Rockets. Really, the Houston Rockets almost, it wasn't like they stood still. They lost guys and they just never, they decided, well, we can replace them because they're role players. You know, if you think you can replace guys that are role players, 
like uh, the Rockets, you you might be stuck in the same situation. So you got to be careful, especially when you see these other teams adding guys as you're not adding guys. That's the other part about it, too. Yeah, and you saw the, I mean, the Astros' main competition, Yeah, they of course they want to win the division, but look, Seattle's taken a step back. They they made another trade at the winter meetings, and, uh, you know, they uh, they shipped out Carlos Santana, who they acquired, they got Edwin Encarnacion, but I mean, they've been totally reshuffling, rebuilding the roster. They're in complete teardown mode. And then you have uh, the Texas Rangers, who, who did sign Lance Lynn and they're trying to build up their team. But really those two squads, you have to figure that they aren't going to be factors in the ALS. The Angels will, will add to their club because they're trying to win right now with Mike Trout. And of course, Oakland made the playoffs last year, so they're a threat. But really, if you look at the AL, the teams that you're trying to beat, if you're the Astros, are the Boston Red Sox, the defending champions, and the New York Yankees who keep building their club. And the Yankees have acquired James Paxton. They signed Jay Happ. They're going after either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or, you know, it's the Yankees. They're going to build up their roster. So, yeah, if you're the Astros and you're losing Dallas Keuchel and you're losing – you've already lost Charlie Morton. You're without uh, Lance McCullers. I mean, they realize all of this. They've got to improve their ball club. Now, they will be able to call on – which is really exciting. Uh, Forrest Whitley, who's one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, guy throws over 100 miles per hour. He can come and be that type of difference maker to add to the rotation along with Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and Colin McHugh and whoever else they decide to acquire. I mean, that's great. you know. And then you still have the depth maybe with the Josh James and Framber Valdez and uh, others that they called up late last season. But, you know, you still want to bolster that pitching and you still want to help the bullpen and, and, and they need to have a better hitting lineup than last year. But staying healthy will be key for the Astros. I mean, there are a whole bunch of things, but you're right. You can't stay static. You've got to change the roster. Baseball just demands it. You can't bring back the same 25 guys every year. And now with the luxury tax, even though Jim Crane said, hey, I'm willing to go up to the 206 million you know, that were allotted there, I'll go up to that. I'm not going to exceed it. It still is a tricky uh, proposition. You try looking at this. It's like the NBA. It really reminds me of that when you're trying to figure out salaries. And Because if you go over the luxury tax and then you're a Pete offender, I mean, it just gets to be, uh, you know, cost prohibitive. So you have to really you have to really look and see. I mean, that's what Jeff Luno is figuring out right now. OK, next season, you know, Jose Altuve is going to be making close to 30 million dollars. Then you if you want to sign Alex Bregman long term, you want to be able to sign, uh, you know, Carlos Correa long term. And then you have three guys potentially making 100 million dollars. Well, if it's only a 200 million, 215 million payroll, maybe in two or three years, whatever the luxury tax is, you uh, you know, you really got to round out your roster with the rest of the guys. You know, how do you disperse that money? So those, those are the questions that they have right now. They want to go all out and win for 2019 while they have Verlander and Cole and all of these guys. But they also have to be thinking of the future. So if they go out and acquire somebody, what are the years left on his contract? Are we going to be able to shed this contract? Who are we going to resign? I mean, there are all these decisions to make right now because they have future implications. Yeah, I guess we're sort of talking so much about the Astros right now and what they're going to do because the Rockets, uh, uh, it, there, there's still some I- issues there. I mean, I mean, if we're going to talk about the team that maybe most people should be excited about in Houston, uh, the Texans. No, no, not the Texans, not the Texans. How about the undefeated Houston Cougars in the top 25 for the first time in ages? Three of their last four wins are for real. Oregon, Oklahoma State, LSU, RG, they just opened the Fertitta Center. 
I mean, yeah, everything with the Cougars is looking up. I've been been watching these last uh, three big wins that they've got, and this is a fun team to watch, and they just do all the little things right. It's it's kind of the exact opposite of the Rockets. You know, the defense, the rebounding, all, all that stuff. They're doing that stuff correctly. No, I mean, and uh, Calvin Sampson's really uh, doing a great job with the team right now. And like you said, they're off to a 9-0 start. That Fertitta Center, I haven't been out to it. I, I guess you haven't either, but it, you know, it's supposed to be pretty tremendous and a great place to watch a game. So that's good, too, because for so many years, remember when it was Hoffine's sort of pavilion, unfortunately, I mean, there was just no buzz, no electricity there. It was mostly empty. So the fact that they've renovated it and renamed it the Fertitta Center, and, uh, you know, they it's a state of the art, you know, at least collegiate ba- basketball arena. And, you know, you can go in there and watch a game there. I mean, there is real excitement. And that's great to see because we remember growing up with, as kids in the, the Faisalama Jamma, you know, uh, era and how exciting that was in Houston. And especially when you had some bad Rockets teams back then. I mean, it was exciting to go, you know, follow Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and the rest of them with the Faisalama Jamma. So, uh, you know. Nowadays, it's to, to see the you know U of H basketball on the rise again. To me, that's a great thing for the city of Houston. Yeah, at some point in the not-too-distant future, I'm hoping to get Jeremy Branham, the voice of Houston Cougar basketball, on the show. He's a friend of mine, so we'll get him on. We've had him on before. Really nice guy. And Ar- Armani Brooks is really the story so far. Armani Brooks is just an incredible sharp shooter. Corey Davis also. I mean, they're both averaging close to 16 points a game. At this point, but Armani Brooks is just fun to watch him shoot the basketball because he's really smooth. I was worried, where's the offense going to come with the loss of Rob Gray? But Brooks has just looked uh, fantastic so far. He's just a lights out shooter. Uh, last thing uh, we need to get to before, well, we got to talk about the Texans at some point. You know, they you know, they lose a game and nobody cares anymore, I guess. But <laughs> I do want to talk about the Rockets because, boy, uh, I don't know, RG, it, you know, they, they had a game the other night. I mean, we're recording this Thursday morning, so, you know, or Thursday afternoon. So it, we, we haven't got to the the Lakers game yet to see what they're going to do there. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's pretty up and down. And I kind of feel like this up and down stuff is are who they are. The record's pretty even. I, this is what I will say, RG, because they, they just, uh, James Ennis just pulled up with a hamstring issue. And if he's out for, a length of time. This, this is my concern. PJ Tucker and Clint Capella, they're playing a lot of minutes. Tucker's averaging 35 a game. Capella's up to 34. It's not too much to me to ask Nene to give you 16 to 18 a game. Uh, and, and they need to get 16 minutes from Gary Clark at power forward also because Tucker has too much responsibility defensively. He plays too physically to get um, the most out of him for 35 minutes a game. The, the type of minutes that him and Capella are getting, uh, I, I just want to see them back off on that. Honestly, it'd be it'd be more than that if the Rockets weren't g- getting blown out so much. They'd be getting more minutes than they're already getting. That's a little thing that I think they need to work on. And Zach Lowe also made an interesting point. He said the Rockets, quote, you know, they were worried that one day our math advantage is going to shrink. And as Zach put it, for the last few years, the Rockets started off with an eight-point advantage because, you know, the number of three-point shots and all the analytic stuff that they they did that put them ahead of everybody else. Well, the rest of the league has caught up. Everybody outside the Spurs, who the Rockets recently stomped, uh, ironically, they're doing 
what the Rockets did, RG. They're using that math, and now that little edge that they had to start off every game is is slowly evaporating and is probably gone. It's not Saturday, December 15th yet, and that's when we all expect the Rockets with a lot of activity. So uh, that's when they can finally unload uh, Carmelo Anthony because uh, they haven't been able to to trade him un- to, until this point, you know, and and they will also be able to uh, other teams who have signed their free agents and uh, this past offseason be able to deal those guys now, too. So expect a lot of activity on on Saturday and the roster could you know have a couple of additions to it by then. And then, uh, or at least shortly thereafter, and what you were saying about the advantage, to me, it's analytics. Hey, if you're the Rockets and you're a smart organization, hey, the rest of the NBA catches up with you, and then you find another way to get an advantage. I mean, this is a smart organization. Daryl Morey is one of the bright minds in the game. I mean, they have the, the wherewithal to figure out, okay, how can we readjust, do things differently? But, you know... I, I think that there's just a myriad of problems with the Rockets so far this season. Uh, it's, you know, Chris Paul, as we've documented, just hasn't been having an all-star uh, caliber season. He's not a superstar player. You know, James Harden with the turnovers early on and maybe trying to do too much and not playing the defense that even even though he's not a, a defensive girl by any stretch of the imagination, his, his defense has been terrible so far. It's been more like a couple of years ago. And then you have the loss of uh, Ariza Mabuamute. So you have all these things that have happened. Uh, and again, getting back to maybe changing the roster, uh, what would you think of what has been rumored here? If the Lakers go out and get Trevor Ariza to come back to them, if the Phoenix Suns trade him as part of a three-way deal, it's now emerged that the Rockets might be a team because they would have to unload the Lakers would. Catavis Caldwell Pope, what would you think about him coming to the Rockets? Ugh, no thanks. I'm not a big fan of him. To me, he's just more of kind of what you got, just really below average wing guys. You know, I, I don't know if he's much of an upgrade over a Daniel House or, you know, somebody like that. I, I, you know, if he's if he can't be somebody that the Lakers could use because LeBron, you need shooters. You need three and D guys around LeBron. But for the Lakers, if they acquire, if they acquire Trevor Ariza and then the Lakers also have Rajon Rondo eventually coming back, they've got Brandon Ingram, they've got Josh Hart, they've got Kyle Kuzma. They have all these different guys. And so there's not really the playing time for him on, but where he could be a, a you know, for the Rockets who are searching for wing players who want that added depth on the bench. The one thing about the Lakers, they don't have that other superstar player right now with LeBron. That's what they've been looking for. That's why they have all these assets. But they've got a lot of good young players, and uh, they've got a lot of guys that could potentially be in the line. I mean, I didn't even mention Lonzo Ball. So you have Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, all these kind of young guys that need minutes, that need to play, that need to get NBA experience. So, I mean, that's where it's different. The Rockets, I mean, had the by paying Chris Paul, by paying James Harden, as we know in the NBA with salary cap issues, you know, once you start filling up your roster with all that money, then you have to go out and get uh, other guys to kind of fill out the bench and and the, the 12 spots on the roster. And they just haven't been able to, you know, find this year the guys that can come off the bench, be that bench scoring. And like you said, they've had to go out and use rookies like Gary Clark and, and Daniel House. So, I, I think it's a little bit of a di- different situation with the Lakers because they have a mix of veterans around LeBron and, and young players that, that are quality, but they don't have those other superstars. It's not like James Harden and Chris Paul together. LeBron is looking for that, sec- that sidekick. And what's interesting to me about the Lakers is that they went into this season thinking, hey, 
I, we don't have a chance whether we win a championship, and maybe we get the fourth or fifth seed in the West and get you know get to the second round, maybe even the Western Conference Finals and lose to Golden State. That'd be a successful season. Well, now Golden State doesn't look to be the juggernaut that we thought that they were. I still think that they will be, but they haven't looked good either to start off the season, even though they played much better than the Rockets, and they're obviously still a title contender, but they don't look like all invincible, and they were just mopped up by uh, the Toronto Raptors. They've had their struggles so far this season. So the Western Conference, it's deep and it's more wide open potentially than it has been in the past, which makes it even more aggravating that the Rockets were so close. And we thought that this season was going to be such a, a, a great season following about last year. Uh, that's why, to me, they're the biggest disappointment in the NBA so far. Yeah, just if people don't know, Caldwell Pope shooting 35% from three, which is really the same number that Ariza is. And in fact, Caldwell Pope's overall shooting stats are, are better. Ariza's played poorly this year. I don't know if it's because he's in Phoenix and he's got sun stench all over him or what's going on, but the Rockets really need a three-point shooter. And, and if you're going to bring somebody that's a quote-unquote three and D player like Caldwell Pope, you know, I, I look at Caldwell Pope as maybe he's a D guy and maybe he's not. I mean, the, the reason Ariza is so valuable it, it was less and less about him as an athletic guy, but more and more about, you know, his intelligence as a defender, his ability to communicate out there on the court. It's not something that I don't think anybody would confuse Caldwell Pope with. And you look at the Rockets, you know, we're talking about three-point shooting, and, and that's part of their game. But none of these five rotation players, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Gerald Green, Daniel House, Gary Clark, are over 34% from three. I mean, that's, that's a huge problem. When you're shooting as much as the Rockets do, I mean – you know, that's still supposedly 50% from the field, but those long threes that you miss turned into rebounds. I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it, even though the math says one thing, I don't think it's equivalent to me, not until you get in the high thirties. Is it what you want from three point shooters? You know, Ennis, Tucker and Harden, they're the only rotation players hitting threes like you to expect. And you mentioned Harden's defense and everybody said, oh, you, you go after Harden too much. And maybe there's probably somebody out there listening going, oh, it's not as bad as you're saying. Well, when Zach Lowe and Zach Lowe watches everything and, and I've just a tremendous amount of respect for him. He said uh, James Harden is back into that defense that he was a few years ago. He said is he calls it he's back into uh, is James Harden in a coma defense. And to me, that's that kind of sums it up. And he's like, is, is he even trying? And that's that's where you are with him. The other thing, when I was watching the games this week, RG, uh, this past week, we, we haven't talked since the Dallas game. And God, one of the things that just scares the hell out of you if you're a Rockets fan because you hate the Mavericks is Luka Doncic. That kid is a superstar already. I think he's already there. I mean, he scored 11 straight points at the end of that Rockets game to help them beat the Rockets and it was just making the type of plays that you want from James Harden and you don't always get from James Harden. And this kid is a kid. He's only like 18 or 19. And I was so frustrated when the Hawks made that trade at the draft. I didn't understand what the Hawks were thinking. I didn't understand what a lot of teams were thinking because, you know, everything that you read and heard about him, it, it, he should have been the first overall pick. I mean, DeAndre Ayton with the Suns, they picked a guy that doesn't fit into the modern NBA and he's somebody that there was still a lot of questions about question marks about him mentally. He said a lot of things so far that are kind of questionable. But Doncic, that's a guy that you know that's gonna he's gonna be killing the Rockets for years and years to come. It, that, so that's even as frustrating as hell. 
So you're saying Mark Cuban's a lucky guy. Uh, basically, he's got gone from, you know, it was almost like reminds me of the Indianapolis Colts when they had, uh, you know, Peyton Manning all those years in the one year that they stink. And then the very next year in the draft, they get Andrew Luck. It's like, you know, uh, pretty much. I mean, I, Dallas has been down for a couple of years, but they I mean, over the 20 years, I mean, Dirk has been there. They've been a playoff team, won championships, been all that. Then all of a sudden, you know, like they're very first like high lottery pick and boom they they get yeah the guy that can set him up for the next 20 years so uh yeah like you said i mean he's a young guy he's a superstar it looks like in the making uh, he totally torched the rockets like uh, tracy mcgrady style against the spurs at the end of that game so uh you know, i mean unfortunately i hate to laugh about it but no i mean it's gonna be yeah it's brighter days ahead for the Dallas Mavericks for sure and uh, the Rockets I mean that's why you have this window right now that's why the Rockets want to win so badly it just reminds you when you see what happened that's why the Kings are the Kings and the Hawks are the Hawks and the Suns are the Suns and the Mavs despite what we think of Cuban he's for the most part kept them in contention and and sometimes in, in championship contention for most of the last 15 to 20 years. And- hey, by the, by the way, uh, before we move on to anything else, I just want to ask you just because it's we mentioned Tillman Fertitta and the Fertitta Center. And of course, Tillman Fertitta owns the Rockets. But uh, KRIV reported that uh, Tillman Fertitta had recently met with Gary Bettman. And there's a rumor out there that, you know, Tillman Fertitta said throughout his time since he's owned the Rockets here that he uh, over the past year that he would like to acquire an NHL team for Houston. So I thought it was interesting that he met uh, Mark Berman was reporting on, on channel 26 that he met with Gary Bettman recently and the Arizona coyotes are, are looking potentially maybe to move out of their situation because they were talking about an expansion team in Seattle with the NHL. But if Arizona moves, Houston could be a likely destination for that, along with the expanded uh, expansion team in, in Seattle. I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are. But if, you know, uh, Tillman Fertitta potentially owning both an NHL and an NBA team. Uh, I, I'm just not the biggest hockey fan in the world. And the last thing I want also is a team that, left their city and their fans behind as, as a Oilers fan that saw that happen to the, with the, with the Houston Oilers going to Tennessee. And, and, and I see that other places in sports. But what about with the diamond, dynamo got them from San Jose. People just like, um, I'm at, uh, you get new franchise, you rename them, you do that. Uh, I, yeah, you hate to see teams leave markets, but sometimes, I mean, it just hasn't worked in Arizona. It's not like they're leaving Canada. I'd feel bad about Canada, but Arizona, it's like when Atlanta left the, uh, you know, they weren't showing up, they weren't supporting it. Not to say that Houston will either, but at least Houston has a tradition with the hockey, you know, dating back to the, the Gordie Howe and the, his sons in the 70s and the Houston Arrows and and we know through the IHL and all those others. So, I mean, I, I just think it would be interesting if Houston finally got a, a hockey team and they were in the same division as a Dallas and then you had a Houston-Dallas rivalry extending even to the NHL. And, uh, you know, there are exciting players. You would get to see the best in the world. It wouldn't be like the minor league hockey days. You know, Houston's a major league city. So if you get the best hockey players throughout the world coming here, the the, the goal the glorious franchises and you know you fill the i'm sure tillman fertita would like that arena the toyota center filled for additional dates i think that people in houston really would get excited about an nhl franchise well that that little monologue right there just tells you uh where the texans fans are and the 
because <laughs> we, we haven't talked about the Texans that we're talking about hockey. Uh, but yeah, the Texans, they finally lose a game after winning nine in a row, RG. We, we, I'm sorry if we didn't talk about but as everybody knows, I also host Locked On Texans, so uh, five days a week we're talking Texans over there. But, you know, we, we don't get a chance often to, to get your input on the Texans. Uh, so when they get, we only get to do this on a weekly basis usually. What what did you think of the last game and where the Texans are now? I well, mean, I mean, it's typical to have a win streak. I mean, even to win nine consecutive games in the NFL, I mean, weren't you expecting? I know that the Houston Oilers won, what was it, 11 in a row to go 12-4 and four and get a bye the second round of the playoffs at the, the Buddy Ryan year, the 1993 season. We all kind of remember who were Oilers fans at watching those those games back then. Now, it's very difficult to have that type of win streak. And so to start off 0-3 and, and go 9-3 and and to have this hiccup against Indianapolis, I wouldn't have liked it against because they could have clinched the AFC South and gotten into the playoffs. And uh, especially with the gift that the Texans were given with the uh, uh, New England Patriots losing on that miracle last play by Miami. I mean, it really was there for the taking for the Texans to move up and be in position for a bye. That's dead. That said, you know, uh, they still have three games left here. They go out and win those. Uh, there's still the potential that they could get the the second round uh, to the sec- or to the bye to the second round. I mean, it's going to be difficult though. They have two road games coming up, including against you know the Jets at their home field with Sam Darnold, the young quarterback. I mean, you just these days in the NFL with how even teams are, you can't take anything for granted. I mean, the Texans should win that game. Uh, Philadelphia will be difficult. They're all winnable games, you know, coming up. Uh, for the Texans, but to expect them to go three and oh two might, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more probably at this point, they'll end up 11 and five and be the third seed. Uh, but Hey, you know, you got to just take, get into the playoffs, win the division, have that home game and, you know, take your chances with whoever the sixth seed might be. Uh, I mean, I know that Baltimore's really improved, but if it's somebody like Miami that squeaks in there or another team. You just don't want to be in that four seed where you're potentially matched up against the Chargers or even the Chiefs because if the Chargers beat the Chiefs, you know, then you're talking about maybe facing Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs or the Chargers. Either one of those are really kind of stout teams out of the uh, AFC West. So those are kind of my general thoughts as far as the actual play of the Texans. Uh, you know, they just uh, didn't have uh, Deshaun Watson had a below average game, but it was also because he was getting rushed. And when when the Texans don't have a good running game, when they can't control the game that way, and, and Indianapolis was stopping the run, uh, and then you're forced to to rely on Deshaun Watson there in, in, in an offensive line that has difficulty with the, the pass rush and pass protection. I mean, that's why Deshaun Watson earlier in the season was just getting mauled. So you don't want to see Deshaun Watson throwing 40 you know times per game or having to come back. Late. I mean, it's just the Texans aren't really built that way. Even though he can do it, he's a franchise quarterback. He's still learning, too. So you would rather just have it to where – you know, that's how they've been able to eke out leads is, is be able to have a strong running game. And also the defense, the defense wasn't able to get the pressure on Andrew Luck and uh, they weren't able to get the the turnovers that were necessary that they have in pre- previous weeks. But again, it's it's a it's a stumble. It's not the end of the world. They even had a chance late to come back in the game and maybe even win it. So it's just, you know, that the Texans ended up losing, uh, but it's not the end of the world. I still am bullish on the Texans because of what they showed during the nine de- game winning streak. And if they can close out the season on a high note and get to the playoffs, at least you don't have that pressure of like, hey, we haven't lost a game yet. It's good to go look at game film and see where you've made mistakes. Yeah. One thing that you're talking about, the offensive line, the, the running 
block the run blocking wasn't as good as it's been obviously the last few weeks but the pass blocking to me was very similar and 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 that's you know everything about that game uh, and and Brian and I were talking about this on Locked On Texans is all the stuff that you're concerned about Deshaun Watson him holding on to the ball too long not making quick quick enough decisions uh, that that had nothing to do as with the offensive line and, and their pass blocking as much as it was Deshaun holding on to the ball. Too well, long. but but sometimes I mean the the I mean they would be rushing and the blitz would come on. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he doesn't recognize immediately there, but I'll, you know it just. I mean, they're overwhelmed. I mean, if you don't have time to throw, that's the problem. I mean, you know, I mean, how's he supposed to make decisions there and realize what to do? Yeah, that's that's part of the maturation of an NFL quarterback where you throw the ball at bounds or you don't take the sack. Well, or- well all the numbers are that he holds on to the ball longer than any other quarterback in the NFL. He's got to change that, but it's also part of the reason why he's so special. We've seen him make plays out of nothing. So he's going to have to recognize where there's times where, hey, sometimes you just, in the best interest of the football team, you throw the ball away. There you go. There you go. That's it. But you still don't want to take him away if he could maybe do something special too. If it's in the second quarter and you know maybe you have a you know three point lead or something and you you wants to extend a play and it's a different point of the ball game than if it's the fourth quarter with three minutes left and you get sacked and you're out of field goal position or something. You know what I mean? It's also kind of game situation, and it's like something that he has to learn by playing and doing. And and he still this is a guy that's a little over a year in the league and you know was injured uh, last season after he was having a stellar you know what, six or seven games in the NFL. This is the first full season back, and he's been injured. We forget about the, you know, where he couldn't even travel on the plane and, you know, had his lungs or his ribs, you know, uh, uh, punctured there. So, I mean, it was this is a guy that's, you know, had been dealing with injuries through this season. So, and the most important thing is to keep him upright and healthy. And that's why, I mean, I still think in this upcoming offseason, you know, the Texans have to address needs in a few areas, but most particularly on the offensive line. They need to protect their franchise quarterback. No question about it. Um, I, I'm starting to wonder if if cornerback might be their most uh, uh, maybe urgent position, but that's another story for another show. We're, we'll get into that as we get closer to the draft. And let's get the, let's let's just talk about the season and where they are uh, as we get towards the end of the season. But, you know, Deshaun. It's all about him. We know it's about the quarterback, and 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 he he goes. You go as far as the quarterback goes in the NFL these days. But doesn't so. that make you feel good? At least still coming to the playoffs here, or knowing that you still have. It's not like you're starting, you know, Brian Hoyer. It's not like you're starting Brock Osweiler. I mean, this is a reason to still feel excited as a Houston Texans fan because it's like finally. It can come there with at least a, a good defense under Romeo Cornell and, uh, you know, a, a star, you know, potentially, you know, a superstar quarterback, a franchise quarterback there. Even though he's in the early stages of his NFL career, you still love seeing that guy and feeling like you really have a chance to win no matter what the situation. Just a reminder, if you listen to us uh, frequently or you just started, you like what you hear, go to iTunes, uh, put a review, Houston Sports Talk. Uh, look for us on iTunes and there's a place where you can just, it doesn't have to be a long review, just something real quick saying you're enjoying what you hear. And we really appreciate it. If you want to email us, we, we put the email in every show description in case you want to do that. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk about what you have to say and try to include it into our conversation. We've done it in the past and we love hearing from the listeners. So it's uh, info at Houston sports talk.net, but it's in the show description uh, if you forget that, no big deal. But uh, thanks for listening to us, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the Christmas season so far and staying out of the cold when it's uh, been a little bit colder in Houston than it has been in, in past winters. 
But uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.